0: All right, thank you. See, I told you we had more room. All right, let me just welcome you again to RUF. My name's Jason Sterling, and I am the new RUF campus minister at Ole Miss, and I am thankful to be here. Let me introduce to you my wife, Susie. Susie, would you stand up? She's embarrassed. I've, well, actually, we've been a part of RUF for going on, this is starting our seventh year. Uh, I was six years at Sanford University in Birmingham, and this is my, obviously my first semester here at Ole Miss. Susie and I uh, have three daughters, uh, Kate, who is six, Elizabeth, who is four, Anne Wright, who is two, and we've got another girl due in less than a month. So it's all Cinderella all the time at my house. <laughs> And so, uh, if you ever want to play and you want to see some princess movies, just come on out. (laughs) Let me start by just first of all saying how thrilled I am to be here. Uh, Seriously, we're so excited to be in Oxford. This RUF at Ole Miss has been here for over 30 years. It has a very rich tradition and a rich history. I have a ton of respect uh, for your former campus minister, Les Newsom, who was here many, many years. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, I'm just honored uh, to follow in his footsteps and consider it a real privilege to be able to lock arms with you and to get to know you uh, better and uh, to just hang out with you. So that's the first thing. Just know how excited we are to finally be here. We've been anticipating this day for a long time. And then secondly, I want to say thank you Y'all are incredible. And you have been so welcoming to our family from actually way back into your last large group. My phone is sitting on the bar. (laughs) All right, you know where this is going. And Susie says, something is wrong with your phone. And it like just started hopping across the bar and almost fell off before I grabbed it. I looked down, I have 160 text messages (laughs) from you. And that was really, really affirming and really, really, really encouraging uh, for me and for our family. Uh, Also, just another thing, um, the text bomb was great, but also we had a rocking party at the Jeff on Monday night. Who was at the Jeff? Jeff! And so a lot of people came out, and so just know that um, we want to say thank you as a family, but also I want you to know this, that lastly, um, as far as personal comments, is that uh, I have a lot to learn from you. And so know that I I have a lot to learn about Oxford, I have a lot to learn about uh, this campus and, and, and you. And I want to learn how we can lock arms and what it's like to minister uh, to the real needs of students on this campus. And so I look forward to growing with you and to serving with you uh, in the years to come. And hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be here for many, many years. Um, Lastly, one more plug for freshman Bible study. It is the best way to get plugged in. To RUF. I can't emphasize that enough. If you, even if you have to cancel a class, drop a class, <laughs> it really is I believe that important and here's why. It's because it's my opportunity to get to know you. You can see we got a lot of people in this room and so in those smaller groups is a way that I can get to know you on a more personal level that you can get to know our staff and that you can get to know my family. So please consider that. One more plug for that enough for now. Tons that we could say about RUF. Please find me or Mary Catherine or George uh, after RUF, and we'll be happy to answer any questions for you about RUF. All right. Next week, we're actually going to begin our series uh, through the Gospel of Mark. It is our custom here at RUF to simply march straight through books of the Bible, section by section. Uh, and so we're going to do that this semester, through the Gospel of Mark. However, we're going to start that next week. Tonight, we're going to do something different. I realize that there are a lot of new folks here, me being one of them. Um, A lot of visitors, a lot of people aren't as familiar with RUF. And so normally on this first RUF, um, I'm going to probably do something like, what is RUF? What are we about? Who are we Uh, as a ministry? And so to do that tonight... We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. And turn in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, to Luke 7. If you don't have your Bible, that's totally cool. You can look on the outline uh, and the announcement sheet. The text is printed for you. It was just one more early morning rush hour when literally tens of thousands of people were underneath Washington, D.C., headed to the subway station for their morning commute. And there was just one more street performer. One more street performer with his ball cap flipped upside down in order to receive tips from those that were walking by that morning. But on this particular day, this street performer was different, very different. For you see, this street performer teaches music at the Royal Academy of Music in London. This street performer teaches music at MIT. This street performer has produced over 24 CDs, one of which has sold over 5 million copies alone. This street performer actually received the Avery Fisher Award for music, which if you know about that award, it basically says that you are the best musician in the world at your particular instrument. This street performer was Joshua Bell. And the violin that he was playing that morning, morning cost well over $4 million. And the tips that he received were far less than what it would cost to see him in concert. The statistics show that 1,100 people roughly passed him that day without even noticing. Seven people stopped to give him tips, mostly throwing in only quarters, and they simply kept walking. The incident was actually staged by the Washington Post, by journalist Gene Weingarten, And he published an article in 2008 on the incident and won a Pulitzer Prize. Here was his premise. When the magnificent, when the beautiful, when the great shows up, three things happen. You either miss it, you ignore it, or you deny that it even happened. Friends, this might seem like just any other semester in your life. But you need to know that the most magnificent, the greatest, the most beautiful Jesus will be here in this room on Wednesday nights, week after week after week, through his word and through his spirit. And my question for all of us, myself included, As we begin this semester, will we miss him? Will we ignore him? Or will we deny that he was even here? Or will we encounter him through the preaching of his word, through the gospel of Mark, week after week, and actually be changed by his spirit through the word? I pray that we would be changed this semester by the gospel. If you look at the passage here, we see two responses to Jesus, don't we? The woman who understands who Jesus is, and we have Simon who, like the people in the subway station, was in the presence of greatness and totally missed it. I think you'll see what I mean as we dig into our passage in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Let me pray before we start that God would uh, be with us tonight as we look at this passage. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you come? We are helpless people. We can't understand this passage unless you through your Spirit work and apply it to our hearts. And so would you use this passage to change us, to uh, rebuke us, to correct us, to encourage us, to bring us uh, to true change. Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. It's been said that we never outgrow the gospel. What is the gospel? That is a buzzword that is thrown a lot around in Christian circles. The gospel is the good news... Of what Jesus has done for us. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus came into the world, He came into history to live a perfect life and to become sin for us. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Most Christians, however, I believe, live with a very truncated view of the gospel. And what I mean by that is the gospel is often viewed by people as simply the entryway into Christianity and into the Christian life. As the doorway. When in fact it's not only the doorway, but it also is the path in which we are to walk every single day of our lives. Tim Keller says it is the A to Z in the Christian life. And what he is saying is, is that the gospel changes who you are. It changes how you live. The gospel, you'll hear me say this a lot, it changes everything. And because the gospel changes everything, everything we do in this ministry, in RUF, flows out of that. The message of the gospel. We are a gospel-centered ministry, which means that week after week after week, we are going to talk about in this place what God has already done for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because that really drives our whole ministry, I thought about what better way for us to begin our time together this semester by than just simply reminding us of the gospel. And there is no clearer picture, friends, of the gospel, no clearer portrait than the one we see in Luke chapter 7. If you look at this passage, it's pretty shocking what this woman does, isn't it? I believe this is one of the bravest women in all of Scripture. And what's interesting is Luke doesn't even give us her name. But here's what we do know is she's not one of us, is she? Now you see, this passage tells us that she's a sinful woman, which means that she's a prostitute. She's an outcast. She's at the bottom of the barrel. She's not in the right social circles. And yet we have so much to learn from her tonight about the gospel, don't we? And so tonight, this woman in this story is going to teach us three things about the gospel. That it involves weeping, it involves faith, and lastly, it involves love. Look at number one, weeping. Look at verses 36 through 38. Most likely, this woman had encountered Jesus or heard his teaching in one of his previous visits to this community, to this town. And so she gets wind that Jesus is coming back to this city or to this town to a dinner party at this prominent Pharisee named Simon. And probably at this dinner party is going to be other leaders in the community. And we need to know something about these dinner parties. is depending on the weather, these dinner parties would be held outside in the courtyard of the home. And they were oftentimes back then really big events and so people for entertainment would walk up to these dinner parties and watch people eat i know that sounds really weird they didn't have the entertainment that we have they didn't have iPhones and internet and movies and iPods and all everything that starts with an i they didn't have all that and so for entertainment they would walk by these dinner parties and say hey who's there wonder if it's you know someone Uh, you know, a leader in the community or whatever. Well, that's what's happening here. This woman goes and she hears that Jesus is at this party and so she walks and she sees Jesus and she's so overcome with emotion. You can feel it in the passage that when she spots him, she makes a beeline for him. And she falls down on her face. He's laying down and he's Eating, back then they ate at these low leg tables and they leaned and reclined on one arm with their feet sticking out beside them. And foot washing was an absolute necessity back then. Why? Well, because they had no modern day sewage and they wore chacos before chacos were cool and cost a fortune. <laughs> and so they wore these open toed sandals and so they're mucking around. Can you imagine if there's no modern day sewage and manure and urine and filth and garbage? And so Foot washing was a necessity before the meal because no one wanted, what? Stinky feet in and around the food or sticking in their face. And so, here comes this woman and she sees Jesus reclining at this table And she makes a beeline for him. She's she's overcome with emotion. She falls down. She begins to weep. She weeps so uncontrollably and so hard that she wets her feet with her tears, so much so that she uses her tears to wash his feet. And then she doesn't have a towel. She's just watching this dinner party, and she's, boom, I'm going to Jesus. And she lets down her hair, and she starts to dry them off with her hair. But why? Why does she do this? Well look at verse forty seven. Jesus says that her sins which are few is that what Luke says? Which are many are forgiven. Now think about this. The writer didn't have to add that did he? Luke could have just said her sins are forgiven. But he included which are many. He wanted us to know just how low, just how broken this woman was. So, why is the woman weeping? Well, because she knows who she is. She knows. Who she is, but she also knows who Jesus is. She knows that she's broken, that she's blown it, that she's messed up, that she is a sinner. And despite her brokenness, Jesus loves her and reaches out to her. You know, the parables, as we read them, are meant to bring us into the story. That's the purpose of reading a parable. The parables invite us and they force us into the story. And they force us to ask. So when you're reading the parables, we need to be asking. And tonight, we're forced to ask, who are we? Who are we in this story? Are we Simon or are we the woman? One thinks they're a sinner and the other one doesn't. How do we know? We'll look at verse 39. If this man only knew who this woman was, what is that implying? It's implying that he's not a sinner. That is the implication of that statement. Here's who Simon is Simon is young. He's nice looking. Drives a great car. Comes from a great family. Comes from wealth. He's in the right social circles. He's in the right organizations. He's got a smartphone. He's got a MacBook Pro. And Simon thinks he's better than this woman. And he totally misses Jesus. Who's the woman? Well, the woman is a prostitute, she's at the bottom of the social ladder. She doesn't have a husband, she's probably uneducated. And she will always live below the poverty line. She has absolutely nothing. But yet, if you look at the passage, she has everything. Why? Because she knows who she is. And she knows that she deserves the wrath of God. And she gets it. And because of that, she runs to Jesus and she weeps. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for her. Here's the point. The point is this, is that you'll never understand the Gospel. We'll never understand Christianity. We'll never really love Jesus. And He'll never be beautiful to us until we identify ourselves with this woman. But here's the hard part. And here's the problem. I'm including myself right with you. The hardest part about identifying with this woman Woman, is that everything in our life tries to keep us from doing that. The schools we've attended, the neighborhoods we've grown up in, the social circles that we're a part of, the summer camps we've attended have pushed us, not intentionally. I don't think anybody's intentionally walking around, I'm better than that person. Maybe some of you. Kidding. But it's not an intentional thing. But it's pushed us to be like Simon and to think that we're better than other people. We have been given so much. We have had so much done for us. And what it does is it causes us oftentimes to have this deserving mentality... And to look down on those around us. If we're honest, we don't really believe we're all the same. You want to know the truth? The only reason that you and I aren't in Africa dying of AIDS and starving right this very moment is because Jesus decided for us to be born here that's it it's all grace we didn't earn this we don't deserve this Jesus has given us a very sweet gift even on our best day think about this think about the best day that you've ever had in your entire life let's go let's fast forward to bid day let's say you wake up Let's say you wake up that morning. You get up bright and early. You even make it to Sunday school. Okay? You go to church. You don't fight with your roommate. You honor your father and mother. You even pray on the way to church. You get back at 2 o'clock. You go to the Lyceum. Your dreams come true. You open up that card. And the sorority that you've been dreaming of since the day you could talk is on that card and you run to that house and you have the greatest night of your life you stay up you're just having an incredible time you've had the best day ever even on our best day someone had to die for you that's what the gospel says and my question is do you believe that tonight not here but in our heart. Because until we begin to grasp that we're not just someone who sins every now and then and blows it and messes up, but that we are by nature sinners. Until we believe that sin permeates absolutely every part of us from our words to our thoughts to our hearts to our emotions, until we get that, Jesus won't make any sense. Christianity will make no sense to us And so could it be tonight the reason why you don't understand Christianity? Could it be the reason why you're bored to death with Jesus? And the reason why your spiritual life is deader than a doornail is that you're afraid to admit this about yourself. The gospel involves weeping. Secondly, it involves faith. You know, we have to be careful of beating up Simon too much. Because Simon really was a good guy. He's not an evil dictator. He looks like you and me. He's generous. He wears nice clothes. He prays. He reads his Bible some. He has a devotional book that he gets out every now and then.
1: He's not an
0: evil dictator. He's doing all the right things. And then there's the woman who's doing nothing right. Luke doesn't even tell us her name, but we know that she's a prostitute. And if you look at this passage, she's not doing anything, is she? She's not really doing, she's not Miss Busybody. What is she doing? She probably can't read, will never be able to read the Bible, but look at verse 50, we're told something very significant about her. And that is her faith has saved her. What is faith? Faith is simply looking at Jesus. It is sitting like this woman at Jesus' feet and simply looking at Him. In other words, it's fixing your eyes on Jesus and worshiping Him. Think about this just for a minute with me. This doesn't make any sense. In my mind, it doesn't make sense because, look, Simon's doing all the right things that seem to flow from faith. Faith. He's trying, not to, he's trying to stay from, away from the really big sins. He goes to church. He reads his Bible. He prays. He's done nothing wrong. And yet this woman, on the other hand, has done everything wrong. And her faith has saved her. Friends, this is huge. Huge implications that we find in this passage. Here's what it teaches us. We can't miss this. It teaches us that it's not the quality of our faith that saves us. It is the object of our faith that saves us. Did you hear that? It's not the quality of our faith. It is the object of our faith. Simon had a strong faith in the wrong things himself. The woman, on the other hand, had a very weak faith in the right thing, in Jesus You see, we often make Christianity about the quality of our faith, don't we? We make Christianity into this moral code that we try to uphold. And so we try to be good enough. Here's how I know. When you get off track spiritually, or when you feel distant from God in some way, most of the time what we do is we we get out the moral you know, reform code and we get in that mode and we start saying, oh no, I'm getting off track. i got to stop doing all the bad things and i got to start doing all the good things. Friends, what saves us is not the fruit of our faith. If it were the case that the fruit of our faith saved us, every one of us would be done. We could pack it up and go home. It's not the fruit of our faith that saves us. We see in this passage, it's the object of our faith that saves us. Lastly, Jesus uh, is the object of our faith. Lastly, love. This woman tells us that the gospel involves love. Look at verse 38. She kisses his feet and pours ointment on them. She has this alabaster jar, and if you uh, have... Studied this, or maybe you've heard this before, but these things were very expensive. These alabaster jars were very, very costly. They were family heirlooms, they were inheritance, they were 401ks kind of thing. And so here's what this lady is doing she is coming and laying down everything she's got at Jesus' feet. I want you to notice something. Notice this she's forgiven by Jesus, she experiences his grace and mercy. Notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't go and say, you know what? I'm going back to prostitution. I know I'm forgiven. I can blow it. Jesus will come. I'll come back and he'll forgive me. Is that what she does? Absolutely not. You know her response? Her response to grace and to what Jesus has done is to run to him as fast as she can and say, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Can I be honest a second? This passage is troubling for me. And it's troubling for me because clearly this woman saw something in Jesus that I haven't discovered yet. Maybe you have and that's great. But I haven't. I mean, what was it that she found in Jesus that was so precious that it would demand her wholehearted devotion? What would make her spin like this on Jesus? To spend everything, literally, on Him. Can we go to a deeper level of honesty? You know what I think this passage, when I read it, my honest heart reaction is this is absurd. I look at this and I'm like, it doesn't, I'm a practical person, okay? It doesn't seem practical to me, it doesn't seem sensible, it seems irrational. Think about it, okay? It seems a little fanatical. I'm like, eh. I mean, think about it. If that were to happen here, right now, at this very moment, we were to witness a scene like this, what would you do? You know what I would do? I would be, call campus security. (laughs) Who's the freak? Seriously. (laughs) That would be my response. And so what would make her do this? To do something that seems so out there and so fanatical. Look at verse 47 again. The one who is forgiven much loves much. You see, love and devotion to Jesus is always a direct result of having been loved by Him. Love and devotion... Towards Jesus is always a direct result of having been loved by Him. She is this free to say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me in this dinner party. She's this free to be that extravagant and to throw down her inheritance because she knows Jesus has been so gracious and so loving when her sins were many. You know, Jesus will never be beautiful to you. He'll never be beautiful to me. He'll never thrill my soul until we're convinced of how deeply He loves us. Friends, that's got to grip our hearts. Can I ask you a question? Right now, would you say Jesus is a burden to you? Or is Jesus beautiful to you? As we sing these songs tonight, and you sing about Him, and you hear about Him, does it put a smile on your face? Or, when you hear the name of Jesus, and think about coming to a meeting like this, does the waves of guilt and shame come pouring into your heart? You know, I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you, when you walk through those doors, just by being here in this environment, the guilt and the shame kind of poured in because you're thinking about what you did last night or the week before. And the guilt and the shame comes pouring in because you, why does it come pouring in? Because here's what your thoughts are. You think, I've blown it too big. I am too messed up for Jesus and you're not sure that he really loves you. Friends, if you don't get anything the rest of the night, please look at the passage one more time. This is good news for your soul. And it's good news for me because what it tells us is that thank goodness it's not the quality of our life that saves us. It's not how good we are that saves us and determines Jesus' love for us. No, look at it. Jesus loved this woman because she went to Jesus and she said, it's all true. And worse, she admitted that she was a sinner and she threw herself at Jesus as her only hope. Friends, that's the gospel. That is Christianity. And week after week in RUF, we're going to hold up the gospel And we're going to hold up the gospel because it's going to remind me and it's going to remind you that though we've blown it, though we've blown it and messed up bigger than we ever thought we'd mess up and we've done things that we never thought we'd do, even this week, we learn through the gospel that we have a great Savior named Jesus who has come into history, come into the world to rescue us from our guilt and shame. You see, if Jesus doesn't make you smile upon hearing his name, if he doesn't make me smile as we sing these songs about him, we have missed something deeply about the gospel. And I don't say that to make you guilty. I say that to make us curious, to ask ourselves, what have we missed? You know, thousands of D.Cers. They were in the presence of greatness that morning when Joshua Bell was playing his violin and they totally missed it. You know, week after week, thousands of college students from all over the United States and all over the world will be in meetings just like this, except they will be in the presence of a great Savior. And they will totally miss him. And my question for us as we close is, will you? Will you miss Jesus this semester? Or will you be like the woman and hear Jesus playing the song of salvation for you and respond in humble worship and fall at his feet? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being with us tonight. I pray that um, you would help us to really believe um, deeply the message, the good news of the gospel that says that though we are worse than we could ever imagine, we are more loved than we ever dared dream. that really is the good news and so would you help us to believe that more deeply uh, tonight. Father show us where we don't believe it uh, convict us of our sin and I pray that we would deal with our own heart but that we would run to you uh, and receive the goodness uh, of your grace and mercy Father if there's anyone here that doesn't know you um, I pray that you'd give them faith Give them eyes to see and to hear uh, how wonderful um, the gospel truly is. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.